Uh, welcome, everybody. My name is Chris Watkins. I've uh, been a member of the CCC congregation for the last nine years uh, with my family, Tammy, and our four daughters. Um, as I was listening to that song, it uh, occurred to me that to much who has been given, to him who has been given much, much is expected. Especially if you've been given an iPhone. CCC is one of the richest places in the world. The amount of resources we've been given, the amount of trust we've been given with God's word, his resources, his positions of influence that each one of us has in this community is almost overwhelming if you were to think of it. With a hundred or so families or more that are represented here, we are unbelievably rich and blessed. Uh, If you could put up uh, the slides, please. John chapter 4, it says, Do not say four months more, and then the harvest. I tell you now, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Last week we talked about that everybody that's ever lived has had the same four questions of, Where did I come from? Origin. Meaning. What is the purpose and meaning of life? Morality. Who judges right and wrong? And what happens when I die? My destiny. Everybody has been built for a longing within them. Every single person that's ever lived. So every person we engage each day, we know that that's true within them. We also covered that God calls all those who are his, who have the Holy Spirit residing into them, to go into his field for the harvest. We looked at the parable of the two lost sons. Um, We looked at the parable of the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the two lost sons. The one lost son that sought happiness from self-discovery, and the other lost son from moral and religious conformity. We talked about we cannot have compassion for the lost, for those around us, if we haven't recognized our own lostness, if we haven't recognized our own older and younger brother that resides in each one of us, and that the grace of God has saved us from that. We explore the harvest is more than, it's not a, a combine blowing through a field and harvesting thousands of people at a time, but it's more like Hundreds of individual people going out into a field and harvesting the grape from a vine. One that's been, had just enough rain, just enough sowing, just enough love and care to be ready for the harvest. And lastly, we talked about that there's three principles in this process of going out into the harvest. The first one is that every person matters to God. Every single person matters to God. The second principle is that it's a process And God is responsible for the results. And thirdly, that every single person that's ever lived has three barriers to Christ. There are emotional barriers, intellectual barriers, and barriers of the will. So we go on to the the next slide, please. I'll just cue you just like this if it's okay. uh... Next one. I tell you, in the same way, there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So God is clearly articulating in Luke 15 that lost people matter to God. Now when we decide and we've been called into the harvest field and we recognize because compassion has overwhelmed us, we move into that space where we're willing to intentionally give our lives to other people, it's very important for us to understand the difference between a goal and a desire. You can desire somebody to come to know who Jesus Christ is, but you cannot make it your goal. 
If you make it your goal, it'll end up in manipulation. It'll end up in you pushing. It'll be your agenda. It'll be your ego. It'll be your desire, your desire that you're turning into a goal, and we can't do that. So it's very important in our relationships with our wives, with our children, with our coworkers, with the people at school that we're with, whoever it may be that we're interacting with, do not turn our own desire for them to know the Lord into a goal because it will result in manipulation. We talked about the biggest fear factors of going into the harvest is a lack of compassion, which we talked extensively about last week. And then let's assume we have compassion. Then it's an issue of competence. I don't know how to answer these questions. If somebody asks me about the reliability of the Bible, I'm going to be stuttering all over myself. I'll feel like a total idiot. And I'll actually push them away from the Lord. Or they'll tell me about some experience they had with another Christian and how horrible it was, and I won't know how to deal with that. So compassion leads us to the desire for confidence, the desire to want to begin to learn how to give an answer for our faith with gentleness and respect. Which then, once we understand that this is God's work, it'll lead to the confidence that the Lord will be working ahead of us, behind us, on the side of us, and bringing people to know him. There's three different ways that people think about reaching out to their lost friends. There's one which is right now, the proclamation approach. Someone sitting up front and telling somebody what they should believe. We see that demonstrated in the scriptures in different ways. But it's a very small percentage of the reality of people's exposure to Christ and to the, the, the overall arching plan of God for this world. The second one is one where you actually go to people, whether it be prison ministry or whether it be people that are in the hospital and sick. It's a, kind of an intentional thing that you go to a specific group of people for a specific reason. And again, we see that demonstrated in the New Testament. Again, a very small percentage of the time. And then lastly, this is the one which is the reality of life of here in Beijing. 70 to 90% of all the opportunities we're going to have are going to come in the natural context of our life. It's not going to be pre-programmed, uh, inviting people to events. It's going to be you going out into the field to wherever it is you already have your influence and sharing the love of Christ with people around you. If we don't understand that, we're going we're gonna to rely on days like today where you feel like the only way you can be a testimony to somebody is to invite them to church and then outsource it to someone else to tell them about who God is. And then when they have the tough questions, again, outsource it again, as opposed to developing yourself, your own competence and competence to engage in a, relational, uh, in a relationship with them. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a few minutes. So we talked about the, the two principles. You can go ahead to the next slide. Now, one of the things that we don't understand, um, if we can understand that this is a process, it will free us from a lot of the, the guilt and uh, anxiety we may experience as we go to invest our lives in people. It's a process. Every person you meet is somewhere on this continuum. Now, it's not necessarily a straight line. It's probably more like a figure eight. But I didn't have the visual to create a figure eight. People are negative ten, contrary, hostile to Christ. These are people that just want to come after you because you're a Christian. Then you got people that maybe just, you know what, I could care less. Then you got those people that are, tell me, you know, what is this Christian thing you're talking about? What is this relationship with God you're talking about? And then there's something that happens in the spiritual realm when someone crosses over from death to life, when God touches their spirit, and you get to watch them move from death to life. And then there's this process of they then commit themselves to the Lord, and then they become a cultivator. They become somebody that wants to go into the field. For his sake. Now, everybody here is somewhere on this continuum. Every person you work with is on this continuum. Every person in your school, every person in your embassy, 
Everybody is on this continuum. God calls us to investigate where people are, not to make a judgment where they are, but to engage in relationships so you can begin to discern where they might be and to know how to give your life to them. One of my buddies, when I was uh, living in Columbus, uh, he was coming to one of my Bible studies for, I don't know, three, four years. I mean, same questions every week, on and on and on and on and on. I, you know, I had no idea where this guy was. Was he a negative two, negative three? Was he already a Christian? I had no idea. I couldn't figure it out. He would say he was, but I, you just couldn't. There was, there was just nothing you sensed in your spirit that this, is, this guy really is connected to the Lord. He's in, in the vine. One day we had lunch. We walked through the, the conversation again. I go back to my office. Fifteen minutes later, I get this phone call. Chris, you're not going to believe it. What? I just was, I went back to my car after our conversation and I felt this overwhelming sense, this rush come over my complete body. And I totally, it's like I could see something I never saw before. And this guy articulated the Spirit of God touching his heart and the, the scales being pulled away from his eyes. I did nothing different that day than I'd done all the other, sowing the seed, you know, watering, you know, all these things we talk about. You know, kind of, man, again? You know, shh. Sh- but all of a sudden, the Lord did something. And man, I mean, I wept. I've known this guy since I was a little kid. Growing up together, we did all kinds of depraved things together, and we started to do some good things together. And to see the Lord bring him to faith was a beautiful thing. But it was, again, it was the Lord's timing on that guy. God was responsible for the result. Every single one of us has all types of people that have impacted us in our walk with Christ. I was uh, counting this yesterday. I was just trying to think how many people I can think of that really had some kind of significant impact. There's at least 12 to 15 people in my life that came along and, and said something or had some influence on me, everything from my parents to my brother to people that um, you know, I never knew before. So there was this constant watering and sowing around me so that when the soil was ready, when my heart was ready and the Spirit of God touched me, I could respond. But it was, it was a process. Other people were involved in that process, and not one of them necessarily got to see the result then. But they saw the result sometime later, and they obviously gave God the glory. I went back from uh, a trip. You know, we go back in the summers, and one summer I went back. I had, I had this list of guys I would just pray for I grew up with and my buddies that were in my hometown of Columbus, Ohio. And after living here in Beijing, you know, you obviously you lose contact daily with these guys. I went back, it was probably four or five years after I'd left Beijing, and one of the guys was like the only guy left on the list that hadn't come to the Lord. And I came back, and I called him to check and see how he was doing. He says, hey, would you come talk at our Bible study tonight? What? I said, uh, I didn't express that on the question. I said, sure. I'm thinking, what is he talking about? This guy, my dad worked with him. I worked with him. My brothers worked with him. And we all were sowing seeds around this guy. When we would start sowing the seed, it was like the door... You know when you go to the storage units in America and you slam that door down, it makes that loud sound? That was this guy. Every time you'd say the word Christ, boom, nothing. I mean, literally no expression, nothing at all. Zero expression. My dad would tell me the stories. Yeah, I'd be talking to Dave and blah, 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 blah. And, man, it would just go down. And to see now that that door had been wide and lifted up had nothing to do with me. It had to do with all these other guys in my hometown that were invested in his life. And ultimately, the Lord was responsible for the result. Those are the encouragements he gives us. We engage in this process and trust him for the result. We're going to see how we plant, someone else waters, God will bring about the result. Uh, Next slide, please. 
So this is the passage. Um, I'm not going to read it at this point, but it's really that concept. This is a team effort. This is everybody going in the field together. It is not any one of us that would ever save somebody. It is God that saves them, but he calls us to the field. Now, lastly, the three barriers of faith. The emotional, the intellectual, and the volitional. Now, the one that I think, um, the one most of us can resonate with. Anyone here have a bad experience with a Christian before in their life? Raise your hand. Okay, yeah, all of us, 100%. All right? We are the biggest deterrent to, the, to people finding Christ. And if we don't know that, when we engage with our friends and we begin to engage in that relationship, we're going we're gonna to actually fulfill the stereotypes if we're not careful. One of the ways you can do is you can break down the stereotype because you're going to engage them outside of uh, trying to bring them to church. You're going to go and just hang out with this person. You're going to go and you're going to love on them for a long period of time with no agenda. It begins to break down. When they start to see, every single person will tell you, I didn't want to come to Christ because of somebody. And then they'll say, I came to Christ because of somebody. So we're part of this process in both directions. And those emotional experiences can be extremely, um, if we're aware of those and we can investigate those with people, we can help them see that, you know what, Jesus feels the same way about those Christians that you do. It's not about perfect people living perfect lives. It's about broken people understanding they're broken and then receiving the extravagant grace of God. My old boss, this was his biggest issue with Christians. He was involved with Christians in the marketplace. He said these guys were unbelievable. He said they're the biggest scoundrels I've ever met. The biggest scoundrels. And then when he saw me come up against certain things in our work and opportunities for me to go that path, and then when I would follow the Lord instead of the path that he would expect me to follow, he would tell me, Chris, what you did there, I did not expect that. I expected you to do what these other guys did. And even though he still would claim to be an agnostic, a secular humanist, he knows that there's something different about certain people. They're not all in this camp. And all I can do is sow the seeds around him and and love on him and care for him and honor him every opportunity I've got, even when he doesn't deserve the honor. But I'm honoring him because he was my boss even though he may not deserve it. I would honor him because I'm actually honoring God by honoring him. When I think of the emotional barrier, I think of so many situations where I have been a deterrent to people, and it breaks my heart. But if all of us as a body, 400 people, 100-plus families, were to understand this, just think the people sitting in your communities right now, your friends you go to lunch with today, that have had these experiences. It's simply our opportunity. You go to the next slide. All we do is build relationships. We build relationships with them in authenticity and in love. You'll begin to see these barriers peel away. The intellectual barrier is the one that I think most people are the most afraid of. They don't want to be asked the question. There's 12 questions that everybody asks. They've been boiled down. Uh, if you go to the Alpha program, it breaks it down into maybe more than or less than 12, uh, or they're more or less than four, but basically they all fall into these same categories. So whether it be the Alpha program, whether it be the open forums we're going to be doing in the fall, These are all opportunities for you for the intellectual part of understanding how to give away your faith to go and be trained, to develop your competence. And I would suggest to you, the more you actually engage in this, the more fired up and excited you get about who it is that you claim to follow. Because you realize that this faith is 100 feet thick and 100 feet wide, and it will hold every single question. It can sustain any question that's asked of you, whether it be about the reliability of the Bible whether it be about faith is too easy, whether it be the hypocrisy of Christians, whether it be what about those who haven't heard, all these questions, there are unbelievably powerful answers in the scriptures to give us hope 
to give us a reason for our hope. We don't have to check our minds at the door. He actually says to love your Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. If we give up on that piece, we say, oh, I just have faith. I'm sorry, the Lord, does not, the Lord has called us to a comprehensive investment of our life, which includes our mind. We can't just go with the easy, pat answer. Non-Christians do not want to hear that. They do not want to hear your pre, our pre-subscribed Christian antidotes. What they want is a real relationship where they can ask real questions that hopefully results in a heart being opened. Next slide. So really, our response is research. It's us investing our time to go and learn how to give reason for our hope with gentleness and respect. And again, you'll go out here today, you'll see plenty of opportunities to do that. In the small groups you may or may not be a part of, there's opportunities there to do this. This is a lifestyle. This is a lifestyle of wanting to develop a competence to be able to invest your life in other people. Now, the volitional barrier is the toughest one. This is the one we actually have no power to control. I cannot help somebody change their will. They have to be the one that responds to God's touch. This is where prayer and our giving our hearts to somebody over a long period of time. My friend Dave, it was 10 years of prayer and just loving on the guy and being consistent with that love, and the Lord brought about the result. Nothing because of me. But we can't give up on them just because their will seems to be contrary to him. Actually, the more contrary someone is to God, the closer they are. My experience is the more hostile they are to you, the closer they are to the king. The king is working on something in their heart right at that moment. The more angry, the more response you get, the closer they are. The more kind of, kind of in day's land, those are the ones actually the harder ones, the ones that just don't care. For some reason, something's going on. The Lord has not, you know, it's not their time yet. But again, we stay and we love and we care and we pray. For all of those. Again, this is back to reliance. We're dependent upon the Lord for his work. Now, last thing I want to talk about. If you go to the, the next uh, slide. Common ground is the place where we build these relationships. Paul says, I become all things to all men, so by all means, some might come to know him. He used everything he had, everything he owned, every intellect he had, every position he used to have as a Pharisee, everything he had was at God's disposal to build relationship. To the Jew became a Jew, to the Gentile a Gentile. He did everything he could, used every resource he had for God's glory. This is what 1 Corinthians 9 tells us. We cannot think about it as in a little box. It's everything is his. Every opportunity, which means we go out of our comfort zone into their world. If you go to the next slide, please. Common ground is a place where you intersect with life with someone else. If you do nothing but spend your time over the next six months understanding this principle and building relationships with people, I guarantee you the Lord will bring about a harvest around you. Now, that harvest may not be people claiming to follow Jesus, but that harvest will be people moving on that continuum, people moving and being drawn closer to the king. But our job is to be intentional about building the common ground and building those relationships and allowing God to be the responsible for the result. But if I don't engage, if I don't invest my life, then I can't expect to be a part of seeing the harvest. Again, this isn't about programmatic, guilt-ridden Christianity. This is about an overflow of the heart that you have the cure for Ebola, and you want to give it away. You have the cure for the, the greatest virus, the greatest disease in all of history. If you don't think you have that, you will not desire to give it away. If anyone had the Ebola virus uh, antidote today, 
they would be screaming at the top of the mountaintops. We have something far greater than that because everybody's going to die anyways. 100% mortality rate. So everybody's going to physically die. But he's given us the ability to be grafted back into the vine, to be the uncut rose that's regrafted together, and that if we believed that, we would be running around giving that away as fast as we could. We would do it with gentleness and respect because it's not an agenda. It's because we have been given something so overwhelmingly powerful, we cannot wait to give it away. As we do that, we don't have to compromise our message or our convictions. If you're somebody that has struggles in certain areas, you don't go engage and build common ground in areas that are going to cause you to stumble. Okay, it's just wisdom. But you're also not going to allow your, you also shouldn't allow maybe extra biblical rules to prevent you from engaging in common ground with people. I'm not going to give specifics because those are between you and God, what those specifics would look like. But you don't have to compromise the message or your convictions as you go about developing common ground with our lost friends. This is just a quick visual. You have biological relationships. You've got your recreational things, whether it's working out at the gym, whether it's riding bikes, running, whatever it is. You've got places there where you have common ground. You have your geography of your neighborhood in Beijing. This is, Beijing is our field for most of us. That's our field. And then you have your work. For men, men, if you think, if we think engaging people in the body of Christ means something outside of our work, we have missed the greatest opportunity and privilege that we've got. Our work is our primary area of ministry. That is where we have the most relationships and the most time that we spend to build into people. And you, and you can't be worried about losing your job in the process. God has called each one of us. He's given us a trust, and much is expected. So our work is in an unbelievably important place. Now, last thing I'm going to close with, I can't go into this passage very deeply because we're running out of time, but Luke 16 is one of the most powerful connections. You connect Luke 14, count the cost of discipleship. Luke 15, every lost person matters to God. And God is the extravagant grace giver that is pursuing the lost. And to the extent that we've been, we're abiding in the vine, that heart will be captured by ourselves. And then he says, okay, guys, I've given you all this trust I've given you all these resources. Those are not yours. In the parable of the talents and the parable of the minas and in this passage, one of the key messages he's saying is, I have given you so much. Now give it away. Give it away. Your workplace is an opportunity. Whatever influence you have there, that is your opportunity. Your neighborhood where you live, opportunity. Your riches that I've entrusted to you, invest those for God's kingdom. And do it in creative ways. If you want to start a business, to use that money to build relationships, to sow seeds, and to plant, then build a business. It doesn't have to be just given to a church or to some parachurch ministry. It's about however God calls you to use those resources for his kingdom. I'm telling you, we have more wealth here than you could possibly imagine. Just in this small group of people, there's an infinite resources that are disposable because the Lord is behind us, inside of us, to take whatever small or large amounts we've got to give away. For his purposes. And the creativity of that is so powerful. We do not restrict yourselves. We should not restrict ourselves on how we can do that. There are so many different creative ways. Using your car. Using your house. You know, inviting people over. Blessing people with extravagant dinners. Whatever it is. Jesus did this for the tax collectors and sinners. They're always having meals together. They're using the funds 
to bless the people around them. People were constantly coming to them because they were constantly going out and giving it away. So this is a a go-to retail method as opposed to wholesale. Wholesale's kind of come to us. Retail's going out into the community to build those relationships. So invest in your time, your talent, your treasure. That is our call by God in Luke 16. These are your resources. These are his resources. He's given to you as a manager. Be shrewd. Be shrewder than the sons of the world. He challenged. He said, the sons of the world are smarter than you guys, sons of light. You guys are too Christian in your thinking. You're too religious about how you use your resources. Be creative. Be crazy. Be wild and extravagant with how you bless those around you. He talked about compassion. Without compassion, I'm going to have no desire to develop my competence, and therefore I'll have no confidence the Lord's going to draw people to himself. To be a part of the harvest, we have to recognize we have been saved first. We have been the ones rescued by an extravagant, grace-giving God. Then that will lead to a desire to develop competence. Ultimately, competence the Lord's going to draw people to himself. Apart from Christ, we're dead, we're blind, and captive. There's something going on in the spiritual realm. Brothers and sisters, we have no idea what's going on there, except something happens in people's lives when we get to see it. It's one of the encouragements and the edification that we get to be and seeing really that he's real and what he's doing in this community. We are at a unique time in history, guys. Beijing in this community has been given a trust. And I would, I would suggest that we need to take that trust and give it away as fast as we can. We've been given so much, we cannot look past it. I've been here for nine years, and my heart has been burdened for this community to go beyond ourselves. You know, we, there's, a, there's a piece of being encouraged and edified here together, and then in turning around and then giving it away. And I want to challenge us as a body to be living intentionally, to giving this away. Again, not out of guilt, not out of religious obligation, but because we have been given something so powerful and so beautiful, the ultimate cure for every single thing that ails us. We have the opportunity to worship and live in the vine with the king of the universe. And as we do that, he will open up so many doors, so many beautiful places for us to give our lives away. And it'll hurt, and it'll be painful, as Rick was saying. Anyone that jumps, as Robin would say, into the river, man, sometimes you feel like you're drowning. But man, he's right there underneath holding us up just enough to keep our head above. So this will not be easy. It's not a bed of roses. Count the cost. But we're laying treasure in heaven. We get to see for an eternity the work he's done. So my hope and prayer today is that each one of us would walk out of here understanding who we are in Christ, that we would go forth, take whatever we've been given, and give it away as fast as we can because we have no idea how much time we've got left. My, my uncle passed away on Friday night. It's a reminder, everyone dies. 100% mortality rate. 100%. We've got one life he's given us, one opportunity. To much, to him who has been given much, much is expected. To him who has been given much, much is expected. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity and the blessings. We thank you for this incredible community that you've given us to come together in fellowship. For all the small groups, the uh, men's and women's ministries that go on where the real connection of relationship happens. We're so grateful for that. We're grateful that this, uh, for this country, this time in history, that we get to be a part of your work in this place. Father, we know there is unbelievably hurting people all around us. We are hurting ourselves. 
Father, but you, as we connect to your vine, you bring life. And you've called us and given us the opportunity to go into your field to give life to those around us, to draw people to the vine, to allow them to be attached into the vine. We pray for hearts of compassion, for a heart transplant. We pray that we would develop the confidence to be able to go out into your field with confidence that you're going to do the work ahead of us. We're grateful. We thank you for this time together. We thank you for this community of CCC. We thank you for the opportunity to be in Beijing. Pray for this in the name of our King Jesus. Amen.